Hey there listeners, well I had the pleasure of interviewing a great lady by the name of Megan Gluth Bohan and she's the owner and CEO of an organisation called TRI or TR International. It's a US based chemical distributor and she's also the owner of another organisation called Chem Blend of America. So it's a chemical blending and tolling facility. TRI is one of the largest certified women-owned suppliers in North America. It was a great conversation with Megan and we talked about all sorts of things and the title here is about the accidental executive and so she'll go through that a little bit within the interview. But we talked about being a trailblazer as a leader, so trailblazer leadership. And the other one was, there's so much noise out there today, cut the noise out. And you're probably facing that as well as leaders, as individuals, and the noise that you're hearing every single day. The other one was about being a leader that people can rely on. And I think it's spot on. It's about the ability that an organization and individuals within that organization know that their leader is solid. And so it was a great conversation. So I'm going to encourage you to sit back or do whatever you're doing while you're listening to this episode and enjoy. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful uh, episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us today. I have a great guest with me today. Her name is Megan Gluth-Bohan, and um, I'm going to call her Meg. So Meg, a big welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Now, Meg, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am currently talking to you from just outside of Seattle, Washington in the United States. Well, in the United States of America. Awesome. And I understand that you've got a uh, couple organizations, although there may be a little bit of a change. I think you're just going to tell us a little bit about it. The owner and CEO of uh, TR International and also the owner of ChemBlend of America. Tell us a little more, more about what's going on there with those organizations and what you do there. Certainly, certainly. TR International, we call it TRI, lovingly, and ChemBlend of America, uh, we call it CBA. Not a lot of mystery there, how we picked the, uh, the initials are both companies that serve the chemical industry and the United States manufacturing industry. TRI's business has historically been chemical distribution, meaning that we source and supply the raw materials and molecules that companies use to make all sorts of things, from infant formula to paints and coatings. And CBA's business has been to do a lot of that manufacturing on a contract basis for a number of companies, again, in just as diverse a set of manufacturing uh, industries. We are merging the two entities, and within the next month, we will announce a new name for the new organization uh, all under one umbrella. So we're very excited about that. Excellent. And I see you're involved with a whole of other organizations as well. And so it's really good to see. So let's let's get involved and talk a little bit more. You're having a coffee. I'm having a coffee. Let's talk about things. Tell us more about your background, where you've come from, what you've done. That'd be really, really interesting to hear. Sure. I, I'm probably what you would call an accidental executive. I started off growing up in a small town in Iowa, which for your listeners who are not from the United States, that's a, a state kind of in the middle of the country's mass. Largely agricultural, 
and made up of a bunch of small farming communities. And so I came from one of those communities. I was raised below the poverty line and and really struggled to sort of get myself out of what what could have been maybe not the the best prospects for my future. And a lot of people helped me along the way. And frankly, a lot of um, what I would call angels that I know and, and some that I don't and tenacity, hard work. And I ended up becoming an attorney. And so I practiced law for a few years. And in that career uh, was representing businesses, particularly privately held businesses, those that are not publicly traded. Um, and I, I grew to love sort of the work of business. I, I loved being an advisor and a counselor to business owners. And I, I really admired the strengths of those people. And I also became exposed and aware of a lot of the challenges that many of them faced. I moved to Seattle, Washington and met a gentleman that was supposed to be just sort of a networking meeting who owned a company called TR International. And through a series of, of meetings, he offered me a job as his first general counsel and I took it. And I served the company as the company's lawyer for a couple of years before it became apparent that I was growing to really love this business and what we did. And he was coming sort of to the point of his career. He had, he had run the business for about 25 years, founded it and, and ran it for that period of time. He was going to be retiring with no succession plan. And so, again, these are all very long stories given to you in a, a minute synopsis here. We arranged a deal where I first purchased a majority of the company and then a very short time later purchased the rest of it. And now I am the, the CEO and owner. Um, and so there's a lot to that story, but I, but I share the fact that this was one of those things that's, again, accidental or maybe unintentional, but one of the very best places I ever could have ended up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about the United States at the moment, but I know that this part of the world, what we're seeing is a lot of the boomers now coming to the end of their careers okay. and they don't have a succession plan. They don't have anyone to hand over the business to or and so forth. So we're finding that they're trying to sell the businesses or bring in somebody like the, the example you just shared there is a great example. Is that happening a lot in the U.S. as well? I think so. I mean, obviously, the demographics don't lie. We're, we are in a place where certainly now, and I, I think this was accelerated a bit by the pandemic, many people in the boomer generation took the early retirement and, and last, understandably so. But we are coming to a place very rapidly, if we're not, in fact, already here, where a lot of boomers are going to be retiring and leaving the workforce. And in fact, it, it raises a lot of concern in the U.S. for us economically, as it does, I think, globally, for, for how we're all going to handle that. Many, many boomers who own businesses have not previously stopped to think about what's next for their business. And that represents its own crisis, right? Because each of these businesses, as you know, take on a life of their own. They employ people. They provide an essential service. And so it's something that I think will have some very interesting snags throughout the next years. Yeah, and it has a lot of, as you say, downflow effect. In other words, people being employed by them, families, communities, mortgages, there's all sorts of things that are sort of in that area. Yeah. And then what actually happens to those people who do retire and what do they go and do? That's There's an identity crisis happening for a lot of them um, because all their life and their, everything is around their, their, their role or their business. And even those in a corporate scenario, 
they leave, their whole life has been around that, that job title, that organization, and it's no longer there now. So what happens to them? Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, I mean, I, I personally describe myself as an object in motion. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that same acceleration internally where we do, we find it hard to not be doing anything. So what does retirement look like and, and what do we do next? And you're right. I think that could be even described as an identity crisis. Certainly. Yeah. My dad's a great example, right? So here he is. He's going to be 82 in January and uh, he retired this time last year. And lasted three months and he's like, no, I've got to go and do something. So he ended up getting a little part-time job and it's just him. He just wants to be doing something. It's giving him something to think about or look forward to. But you know what's more important is it's that he's actually around people. He's talking to people and it's massive. There's, there's all these different angles that you and I could probably talk all day about it in relation to, to what people are doing. Yeah. So you mentioned the accidental executive. Is that actually how you got into leadership or was there some other time that you got into leadership? You know, I think that when I think of leadership, the first thing that comes to mind is not necessarily even my formal leadership roles. I think I have two small children and anybody who has watched children, like I think sometimes leadership is one of those things that starts to show itself very early on. And it's very easy to say natural born leader, but but I do think that people who have that within them, and certainly I would say for myself, like we demonstrate those tendencies pretty early on and we look for opportunities to lead. And I, I firmly believe that where that starts is within ourselves and in our own internal sort of steering and discipline and, and things like that. So I, I think I've always had sort of that inclination. And even when I was an attorney in law firms, I was looking for how I could initiate the next thing or, or, or do the next project or, or sort of how, how can we make this better? Like, I, I think those are the fundamental building blocks of the way a leader thinks. And I think I've always been like that. That's good. Good to hear too, because there are people who are born and others who can be developed into leaders and so forth. But I think it all comes down to attitude and the way, how you look at things and your perspective and, and what you do with it. Um, it's really, really uh, counts. Now, the question I've got for you is, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I don't know if I have a necessarily a favorite leader. Um, I, I think there's so many people, and, and I'm always careful, too, to say that this is not a political statement because I, I watch the way people lead and not necessarily the what. But I have a lot of respect and admiration for people that, that trailblazed or, or did something maybe that others didn't do or for people who navigated through crises. I'm a student of history, and, and I've always followed people like Abraham Lincoln. I've followed people like Margaret Thatcher. I've followed people like George W. Bush following the post-9-11 world, Barack Obama, and sort of what I would define as sort of a changing time, you know, generationally. And I look at each of those people as examples of people who've had to maintain sort of a commitment to who they are internally in order to withstand whatever is sort of blowing at them in any given moment. So I've got another question for you in relation to what you just shared. Mm -hmm. You choose which one. I don't know which one you might want to choose, but if you were sitting in a park bench having a coffee with one of them, mm -hmm. what would be one burning question that Meg would want to ask them? You know, I, I had a really fortunate experience to see George W. Bush speak publicly, and he talked about certainly the September 11th. 2001. 
and he talked a lot about the the technical events of the day, what happened first and then what happened next. If I could have a coffee with him on a park bench, I would ask him what happened inside him when he first heard what was going on. I would love to know. I would love to know what happened inside. Massive. That would have been, yeah, that's a big question to ask. Eh? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. That, that whole scenario changed the world right there and then. And you have to think, if you're him, you know that what you've just heard is going to change the entire world and your next move is being watched by literally every person on the planet. What's happening in your head and in your heart when that's going on? Whether you liked him or not, you have to admit that's a a burden that few people in history have ever carried. Yeah, it didn't matter what political side you are on. I mean, the leader was the leader at the time and you're right, it's huge burden. (laughs) The world was watching because if the US coughed the yes. rest of the world got the flu, right? Yeah. Um, that was just, that's what was going to happen. And so everyone was waiting to see where we were. Um, do you still remember where you were that day? I do. I absolutely do. There's a couple of times in my life whereby there's certain things like that have happened. The other one was Princess Diana when she passed. She was killed, right? Or died. Yep. So for me, I remember exactly where I was, where I actually heard that news. Mm. It's just amazing. I goosebumps. It's just amazing where people... Remember things. And I think there's one thing that leaders need to understand is the fact that what we say and what we do has impact on people and people remember those things years later. And so we've got to be careful with what we do and say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like many Americans, I actually was watching television when the second plane hit the second tower. And I remember thinking as a, like, just a sense of this cannot be happening. And if you're the leader of, of the country that it's happening to, you certainly must also have a sense of this can't be happening, right? But you have to quickly cover and move past that. I think even in small moments in our lives as leaders, we have to be mindful that that, that first emotional reaction that we have might be something that, to your point, we can't necessarily experience in a public way or really take any time to experience it at all. It might be something we need to just hop past and, and move to the, the critical state of projecting calm and, and a confidence that, that we will handle what's before us. And, and that confidence is huge because if you don't, then it's, it's not good at all. Yeah. And then the other thing I, I like about, I mean, I, I don't want that kind of scenario to again. Right. What I did like about what the leaders of many countries did and with the leaders within your country as well, is they banded together as one. Yes. And they moved together. It didn't matter what side of the house you're on, we're moving together as one and we're going to make sure we, we, we sort this out, which is, which is brilliant, which is what you want to see. Absolutely. I miss those days a little bit. I certainly wouldn't want to see that happen again, but I, I do miss the unity that ensued for sure. I was actually on a plane when that happened. Oh. And I was coming back from Greece back to New Zealand and I was on a flight. I can't remember what, where it was, but we actually landed in Sydney, Australia. And we right. got off the flight. They actually made all of us get off the flight. And we went to the terminal. And all these people are surrounding these TVs up on the walls and watching this thing. And I was like, oh, wow, what movie's that? And then, then I found out what was going on. I was like, what? Just amazing. And I rang my sister because she happened to be living in Sydney at the time because I was getting on the flight with an hour later to go to, to New Zealand. And I said, what's going on? She goes, I've been up all night. It happened. When we're just about to go to bed, and so we've been watching it all night. It's like, wow. But you remember where you were when things were happening, right? And so I was quite tanned because my background, I could sit in the sun for three days, and I'm really, really quite tanned. 
and I hadn't shaved for a few days and that. And I was like, are they going to look at me and say, and I'm like, hey, I'm Kiwi, uh, New Zealander, here's my passport. (laughs) But you know what? Three weeks before that, I was on the flight going out of New Zealand, um, I think into the States and then on my way to Europe. And I was on a new New Zealand flight. And I said to the crew, can I go up to the cockpit? And the guy goes, just give me some time. And he came back 10 minutes later and goes, let's go. And so we went up. So that was probably one of the last times you could yeah. go into a cockpit and sit with a the crew there. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title, that statement, what does that mean to you, Meg? Well, I think, first of all, it, it's so correct. I think that we are in a really interesting place um, right now in the, in the business world, at least when it comes to leadership. And that's due to a number of different factors. But I, for me, I feel like my own leadership sometimes has to be most responsive to labor and to the people working for me. And because they are changing and because the demographic of employee is changing, I think sometimes leadership has to change to, to meet that. But I think some things are then also timeless. And, and, and that is where I choose to focus mostly for me. Leadership is changing all around us. In fact, everything is changing all around us. The best thing I can do for the people who work for me, for the customers who buy from me, for the the suppliers who supply me, is to be somewhat unchanging, to be steady, to be reliable, and to be very consistent. And strangely, I I think I would argue that that is a timeless uh, value that people place on their leaders, whether they know that they want that or not. I do think that that being consistent and steady is absolutely critical the more things change. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree totally. And I think the word consistent or consist- consistency is really, really important. Too many people, I think, today want to take a pill, red, blue, green, whatever color you want to say, take and da-da, I'm now the leader. It doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. And I think also sometimes they feel like they would need to do something once and that's it. It's not. It's how you show up on a consistent basis is really what's important for you and the organization. That steady and reliable piece as well, when we're in a crisis and we're facing a crisis, a bit like the examples we were talking about before, but let's say in a day-to-day crisis, in a BAU situation, business as usual, we're doing things operationally and something happens. Steady and reliable. How important is that for a leader? Just as important as crisis. You can't develop the trust in your team that you will be steady and reliable in a crisis if you're not steady and reliable in business as usual day day to day. Also, I think it's important for every leader to remember if you have people working for you or even if you have people working with you or relying on your business in in some way, that you are the sort of decision maker, the you are a factor that can influence their lives and change them very quickly and very impactfully. And so maybe for you, it feels like business as usual because it is. But for them, this is a day when they made a mistake that they're afraid you'll find out about and then they'll lose their job and then that affects their ability to pay their bills. And so I think it's really important for leaders to be mindful that you don't necessarily know what business as usual means to them or to you. And, and I think that that consistency and that steadiness and what I call just sort of that even keel nature is very, very important every single day. Then when the crisis does arise, 
you've built a trust. Everybody knows exactly how you're going to respond. They might not know what you're going to say and they might not know what you're going to do, but they know how you will do it. And I think that's the key message for any leader in that is that you can't just go and jump in and be a great crisis leader if you haven't been a great, boring Tuesday morning leader. Oh, I love it. I love what you're sharing there because I think it's a, the even keel is really important because when a leader turns up differently every day, people it's mixed messages. People don't know what to expect. And as you say, you know how we talked about crisis just then and we're talking about uh, sometimes leaders don't show up. How important is that? And then the other question part of it is how long do they stay when they do show up? I always believe that the, you know, you sort of alluded to this earlier, like as the leader, I should be working harder than anybody on my team, right? And part of that means showing up and rolling up my sleeves and being next to them in whatever the work is. And so that, I I think you can't have one without the other. You know, you sort of alluded to it. I don't remember exactly how you said it, but but a lot of people want to be a leader on day one. They want to come out of college or whatever and lead. The truth is it looks an awful lot like work every single day. And it takes a long time to build trust and rapport and skill and to build, like we're talking about, that consistency and that stability. And almost sometimes as a leader, it can feel monotonous, to be honest. But but you have to do that and be showing up and be next to them. Again, back to this trust piece and, and having that built, you can't do that without the work of showing up. I know there are leaders who want to lead from Zoom every couple of days or something. It's just not possible. Not in not in my mind. No, I agree. And it's a bit like those leaders who sit behind Facebook Live and go, yeah, you know, and I'm like, come on, you've got to be there with the people. You've got to be out the streets, as I call it. Yeah. And, roll, and rolling up your sleeves is really important. Now, Meg, you and I are living in a world whereby things seem to be getting faster. Technology, business, social data, all of it just seems to be getting faster. So then how does a leader the way I say it is go from surviving as a leader to thriving as a leader in that fast-paced, ever-changing world. What, what do they need to do? I think you need to focus on what it is you're supposed to be doing and, and cut out the noise. As a leader, you have a responsibility to manage all of that impulse in you to rush, to be pushed, to be blown about by the winds of this next new thing. You need to manage that. You're the leader. And yes, it's hard. And yes, there can be a lot of distractions and there can be a lot of things blowing in in the wind around you and and while that might be difficult the the sad truth is too bad you're the leader it's your job to mean some some equilibrium in all of yep. that i have a lot of practices in my life intentionally designed to slow me down and to give me the skills to be able to slow myself down even when i need to be fast and i know that sounds like i'm i'm speaking sort of I don't know, counter to what I just said, but it, but it is true that you can slow yourself down in order to be fast. And I think as a leader, that's absolutely my job and my responsibility. Would you mind sharing someone one on one of those practices that you do or something that you do to slow down to be able to go faster? Sure. I'm, I'm a very unapologetic sort of disciple of daily meditation. And I don't really care what people do and how they do it and whether they align that with a spiritual practice. I'm never really concerned in all of that. And in fact, my own practice looks a little bit different every day. But what it ultimately boils down to is learning to have a fixed point every single day where I get quiet and I practice the discipline of training my mind to not do anything other than breathe. 
And I know that that sounds to people who have heard it like an eye rolling, like, yeah, 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 meditate and and all of that. But I will tell you that in my leadership, it offers me the ability when I'm in a room where everyone's talking and where the world is going crazy around me. I have a very unique ability to get very quiet inside of me and I can then choose to focus on the things that I need to know. I can look at people in a room and say, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this, and I can gather my data sensibly and and put it together and make a decision, stand by that decision and be very, very calm and managed in that. And I would say that that is probably the biggest tool that has added to my growth as a leader. And that is probably the biggest thing that anyone could do because I think a lot of people sort of don't actually understand the impact of what you just shared. Too many of them are trying to be everything to everybody. Uh, The second thing is they're running from email to email, meeting to meeting, and they're overwhelmed. And now they're starting to fear and they feel like they're going to be left behind and become irrelevant. But if they actually take time out to stop and take stock, if another way of putting it, or just meditating and things like that, it is really helpful. We're not talking about several hours of sitting down and, and not and no. thinking about, we're talking about 10 minutes, 15 That's minutes, right. 20 minutes, something, something small, right? But it's so powerful. I'm really glad you shared what you just did. Yeah, no, definitely. You're, you're right. Even 10 minutes a day can, can change a person's life. And uh, it certainly has mine. I, again, I'm, I'm something I'm super passionate about and I feel should be just sort of a default requirement for positive leadership. And I'm sure the example you gave before about George W. Bush, right? That'll be one thing is, you know, what was going on through his mind. He would have had to take just a few minutes out just to get his thoughts together, understand mm-hmm. what was going on, slow things down. And as you said earlier on as well, there is a lot of noise out there and it's just the next shiny thing's going to come along and people are jumping at it, but it's about slowing down to be able to go faster. Very good. Now, you and I have been talking about through the lens of a leader. If we were to change lenses now and talk about employees, and you sort of alluded to it a little bit earlier on as well, but what would they, an employee's expectations of leaders be today? I think it's very easy to read the news and assume that their expectation of us is that they want us to be entertaining and flashy and cool and flexible and allowing them to do what they want when they want. And I don't actually believe that's true at all. I think that employees want a leader that they can rely on a leader that they don't have to wonder what kind of mood she's going to be in on any given day, that they don't have to wonder what the standards are for their performance, what they need to do in order to do well, what's happening to the company they work for, what's going to happen, what what are we going to do about this, what are we going to do about that? I think ultimately they want what they have always wanted, which is transparency and candor and and steadiness. And I, I believe that is more important than whether they get a flexible working schedule or whether they're working from home, whether they even would admit that or not. People want to know where they stand and people want to know that they can rely on where they make a living. And I think that is the most important thing that we can provide as leaders right now. Even before we ask ourselves whether they work from home or whether they do this or whether they do that, because everybody knows leadership Listen, you're never going to make everybody happy 100% of the time. But if you can be authentically who you are and just say, okay, this is it. And if, if I'm not for you, I'm not for you. But at least you know exactly what to expect. Then you've made an educated decision and I've told you the truth and we're both happy. Transparency, candor, reliability, all of that sort of stuff. People do want to know where they stand, which is really good to, to hear. Now, if I get you to get your crystal ball out now and start thinking about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years from now? 
I think five years from now, depending on on what happens with the economy and things like that, I think that we will have to become a little bit more adaptable in terms of, I think leaders now need to set some real precedents at how we respond to some of the challenges of our times. For example, family leave um, and, and handling how we accommodate people who want to juggle multiple responsibilities in their life. I think we're, at least in the United States, we're at a real crisis point for some of those questions. And so I think leaders are going to have to take a stand and, and lead the way there. But everything else I think will look, should look, hopefully looks, is exactly the same as I'm talking about today, and frankly, even the way we handle some of those those problems. And that is to say that we should have, hopefully, even more commitment to being candid, to being transparent, to being reliable, to being steady. Now, I do think that what will change is what we need to do in order to make ourselves those leaders. To your point earlier, this is only going to get noisier around us. This is only going to get more complicated. We're only going to struggle more with finding good people to come to work, finding markets for products, you know, interest rates are going up. Like it's only going to get harder to maintain our, our commitment to, to sort of that steadiness. Hmm. But I don't think the underlying quality will change at all. No. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you fully. What you've just said too as well before about is, you know, depending on the actual economy and things like that, we face challenges all the time. We, we see it. So in other words, a lot of organizations, we've had a pandemic. Well, we had one a hundred years ago too. Plus we also had other ones in between. Now we've got a financial crisis happening because of inflation, things like that. Now that's what may be sort of starting to settle, to settle down a bit. Now we're talking about a financial crisis possibly in Asia as well, yep. China and other countries. Now we're talking every so many years, there's these same things that keep happening. You're talking about history, right? You could see them happening all the time. So when we're leaders in business and things like that, we're going to face these things. I think one thing that leaders need to do is look at history and what's happened because that's actually going to be what our future will be a little bit like too. It's just going to be packaged a little bit differently. But there will be another thing happening, right? And so it's really interesting to see that happening. But I, I love what you said before about that we would need to be that leader for the future. And it's how we prepare ourselves yeah. for that. It's going to really count. Absolutely. And I think further to your point, I, you're right. History repeats itself. The best thing we can do is not read more business books. And no disrespect to anybody listening who's writing a business book. There's a place for that. But, but I definitely think being students of history, and, and I read a lot of biographies too, you know, it's not as though we're facing things no one has ever faced before. And, and even when it comes to some of these present day challenges, I think some of the, the time-tested skills for getting through them will still uh, serve us very well. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, you hear things about generations and the younger people today, and they just have no respect and things like that. And it's done by Pluto. It's like, hello, how many years ago was that? Yes. <laughs> so it's also applicable for other generations too. But uh, yeah. Alrighty. So Megan, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Hey, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn and you can also find me at my personal website and my company website. I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. So there you go, listeners. Hey, if you're wanting to be the trailblazer of leadership, and if you wanted to focus on what you need to do, in other words, cut the noise out, then you might need to become that leader that people can rely on. Hey, it's been a real pleasure having you here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 